0: acceptance of the gospel by the church we talked about how uh, Paul is saying to them that he was thankful that they did not just receive the gospel and the preaching of the word as something that he made up or as the word of men but as the word of God that they simply trusted it And, and and the great truth that Paul laid out is that they were now because of their real genuine faith facing what real faith brings and that is suffering that is temptations that is trials we have unfortunately lost in our day the theology of the cross. The theology of the cross is one of suffering. The theology of suffering, and the idea of knowing what it means to truly walk with Christ means that not that there will never be a difficult day or does not mean that there will not be persecution, but rather on the contrary, that there will be incredibly difficult days that are far too difficult for you to handle. But Christ, but the grace of God, that there will be persecution, that there will be those who will desire to, to chop off your head, to burn you at the stake, to drive you from your homes, to drive you from your houses of worship, to to take the Bible from you, to take the Word of God from you, to, to literally take your life and to persecute you until you are crushed to dust. But Christ, but His grace, He is sufficient, His grace is sufficient for all things. And Paul is thankful that they had truly accepted the Word of God and now they were gladly suffering for the Word of God's sake. Gladly suffering for the gospel's sake, and we must do so as well today. Now, as we get into verses 17 and 20, we're going to see Paul's personality come out a little bit more. Earlier in this chapter, he had talked about how he was uh, sort of nurturing them as a mother and teaching them as a father. But now he's going to get into as well how he longs for them, how he wishes to be with them. And uh, just his uh, continued thankfulness for them. And that though he is absent, yet he is incredibly grateful for what God is doing in that church. Let's look verse 17 down through 20 today. He says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? Or joy or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Here as Green writes, Paul summarized the character of the apostolic ministry among the Thessalonians in chapter two, verses one through twelve. And then in the following paragraph, as we look, verses thirteen to sixteen, he reflected on the reception of the gospel by these believers, including a digression on the Jewish opposition to the Gentile mission. Now he returns to the theme of the uh, anguish of their separation and the desire and attempts to return. This theme occupies the rest of this major section of the letter up to chapter 3, verse 13. I wanted to give that there for you just to sort of sets up the next little passage here at the end of chapter 2, but as well going into chapter 3, we're going to find that Paul is expressing his longing and his heart for the church. Nobody loves the church like Jesus but if there was ever a second that loved the church it was the apostle Paul. You and I must love the church as Paul loved the church and as Christ loved the church. We must care for the church, we must love the church, and this is not talking about a building. This is talking about people. Right? This is talking about the gathering, the ecclesia, the called-out assembly, the, the very ones who are in Christ Jesus that there must be a deep, deep rooted and built up love that is found only in Christ, only in the unity. In the bond of the Spirit. Now, here in verses 17 to 18, Paul expresses his desire to return back to be with the Thessalonian church and details the hindrances that have kept him from returning. Now, let's sort of put this in our perspective today. Have you ever maybe given a phone call to somebody and you said, hey, I've been meaning to visit you. It's just there's been this and there's been that. Or that you write him a card and you say, I want to see you so bad. I'm praying for you. I'm with you in spirit, but I just can't get there right now right? We've been there many times, especially the past few years, I'm certain. All the uncertainty, all the things in life, there are always hindrances. But nevertheless, through hindrances, your heart can still be there in the right place. Your mind can still be there in the right place. And Paul's mind and his heart is there with this Thessalonian church. If we remember back to the very founding of the Thessalonian church, he didn't get to stay there too long because the persecution came. He was driven out of there and continued on the journey. And what he has done in the first two chapters has been reminding them that they had received the gospel and the gospel did a great, deep-rooted work in them and that he had a genuine intentions with them, a genuine love and affection and care for them because there were those who said, well, if Paul really cared for us, he would have stayed here longer, right? He stayed for a year at Corinth or he did this or he did that, but he hasn't stayed with us. And he's going to get into this. He says, it's not that I would not be able to stay with you. I long to come back to you. But right now, there are hindrances. Now, as we look here, Guzik writes, Paul knew that the Thessalonians appreciated the comfort he gave, but they wondered why he didn't come and bring this comfort in person. They naturally thought that this would be much better, yet Paul assured them that the reason was not a lack of love or desire on his part. There are some times in this life where you wish somebody could come see you or, or uh, they wish they could, that you could come see them, and there has to be this mutual understanding that sometimes things just flat don't work out. It would be nice if they did, but life has gotten in the way, It is not that Paul here is desiring to not see them again, but rather he is desiring to see them again. But at this point in time in the ministry, uh, it has not been uh, allowed. There has been a great deal of absence, but his absence has not left him to forget the church, nor in his absence has he grown tired of that church or has he grown cold toward that church. But rather, he is not apathetic, but rather all the more Tender and caring for these people. He knows them. He cares for them. He desires not only that they would know his heart, but even more so that they would continue to be used of God in their area. That they had uh, been told by Paul already up to this point that they had been used to spread the gospel because of their testimony, because of their faithfulness, because of their enduring through trials and persecution. Thomas writes here, Paul's warm words about his feeling for the Thessalonians may reflect rumors that he did not really care for them. Apparently, some had charged that he had no interest in coming back to them and that he had come the first time only to satisfy selfish ambition. It was a shame. We often think that the early church was a perfect church. It was far from it. The only time that the church was perfect was the very moment it was conceived, there on the day of Pentecost. And from the very moment it was conceived, sin continued to get in the way. If we remember, it wasn't but just a chapter later after the day of Pentecost that we've got two people being struck down dead because they said we're going to give this much and they didn't give that much and they lied to the Holy Ghost and God said nope, right? We forget that there was already lying, deceit in the church. There were already those who were looking for their own gain. There were already those who were starting to separate themselves and say, well, we are Jewish Christians, so therefore we're better than Gentile Christians and they don't even deserve the gospel. Paul addresses already in chapter two, verses sixteen and seventeen. Uh, excuse me, verses fifteen and sixteen. We see that he had expressly shown that all these divisions, all these issues are solved by one thing. That is the gospel. If we focus on the gospel, if we keep Christ in preeminence, if we give Christ the focus and the honor and the glory of which he deserves, the rest of these things will sort themselves out. Now, though we do not have a perfect church today, right, except for this one, right? (laughs) Right? We want it to be perfect, don't we? But nevertheless, what is God doing? He is continuously purifying His church through the preaching of His Word, through the uniting of the saints. God is always chipping things away. God is cleansing His church because there is coming a day where He will have a pure bride dressed in white, pure and perfect for Him, and He will call her home unto Himself. And there we will be purified. And I can tell you how the church will be purified. One glance at the eyes of the Lord and His eyes are described not as blue, not as green, but His eyes as a flame of fire. Holy, righteous, And He will purify and cleanse you and His church with one glance. We often think that judgment or that cleansing or that standing before God will be some sort of PowerPoint presentation one by one where God will go, here is your fault, you did okay this day, next slide, next slide. No, I do not believe so, dear friends. One, we don't find the word PowerPoint (laughs) presentation in the Bible. What we do find is that His eyes are as a refiner's fire. I believe that it won't take long to purify God's church because He will have no impurity stand before His presence. One look and it's done. It's a hard look. It's a hard glance. You know, when you've done someone wrong and you have to look them in the eye, we tend to glance around a little bit, don't we? I think about even my poor little, my poor little dumb puppy. He's, well, he's not much of a puppy. He's four years old. He knows better. But I think about when he gets in trouble... He gets in trouble because he eats stuff he's not supposed to eat. It makes him sick and all that stuff. He's just, I don't know if he can help it or not, but boy, does the Lord use him to teach me about my sinful nature. I'll tell you that much. But in this, when he gets in trouble, he'll, and I'm talking to him like he understands. I don't know why. I'm talking to, buddy, you can't do this. Here's why you can't do this. And he's just, right? Right, Their eyes kind of like, oh no, I'm in trouble. And kind of halfway wagging and, submissive, the whole thing, right? do not want to make that eye contact. But then there's the making up and there's the getting things right. And I can tell you that one day that will happen with the church. Christ will purify His bride. Now as we come into this place, Paul has expressed here in chapter 2 his deep motherly care, his fatherly exhortation for them. And there's no question that Paul not only cares for the church of Thessalonica, but for the very bride and body of Christ itself let's see here here we are as we get here i want us to see he says but we brethren have been taken from you for a short time in presence to the Thessalonians it seems like a long time doesn't it to anyone that's been shut in or is shut in the absence of phone calls cards and visits no matter how long it has been always seems like a long time if you think about this the We just celebrate Thanksgiving. You might have gotten together with family, and I don't know how long or how often you're able to get with your family, but it might seem like a very long time in between, even if it's not so long. For the Thessalonians, it seemed like a very long time, but here Paul goes, it's just been a short time in presence. Why? Because if we understand time, this life is always short. A year in this life is short compared to the eyes of God. A year or even two years is short in time in comparison to eternity. And the reason why you and I think that things like suffering or difficulty or challenges or uh, these the sort of breaks in relationship or presence or being with one another seem so long is because you and I are often unable to see in light of eternity. If you and I can begin to see the things in light of forever and forever and forever, from eternity to eternity, it will change the way that we view time right now. Now with this He says, for a short time in your physical presence, he says, but not in heart. Now, this is sort of interesting. How many of you guys have ever said or heard the phrase, I'll be with you in spirit? Anybody, right? This is sort of the same idea. Now, we say it sort of as a cliche. We do it to make people feel comfortable, to make them feel going, Hey, I I know I can't make it, but I'm with you there, right? If I could be with you, I'd be with you. But if I'm not with you... Just know I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you, right? Now, that does some good, doesn't it? It brings some comfort to know that someone does care enough that one, they'd like to be there physically, but two, because they can't be there physically, they are thinking of you. They are praying for you, that their heart is with you, right? There's a tenderness. There's a care. There's a genuine love. Love is never uh, self-pleasing or self-serving, but always self-sacrificial. Now, in this here, we get to this and he says, not in heart, but he endeavored more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Do you think here that Paul wants to see them? Of course. He says he's endeavored the more abundantly. Right? He's endeavoring to get back. It is abundant how much he wants to see your face with great desire. It's one thing to talk on the phone and they don't have a phone. It's one thing to send a letter. It's one thing to, to you know, FaceTime or have a video call. And it's another thing to be in someone's presence. The past two years, if anything, or past almost three years now since COVID started, something that we have learned is this. People need people, right? You need touch. You need face-to-face interaction. You need to see one another, to feel the warmth of another, right? You need that tenderness, that care that you can't get through a letter or a phone. And he is showing expressly how much he desperately desires to be with them. And now we get into verse 18, and here's what he says wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul. Now, if we remember this, it was, we're gonna, and we're going to see this as well in chapter 3, Paul had sent Timothy because he couldn't go. So he sent Timothy, and much of these things that Paul has learned about the church at Thessalonica are because Timothy came back and said, hey, Paul, here's how the church is going. Here's what's happening. Here's some of the concerns. And this is why Paul is writing them, to let them know, I do care for you. Uh, ignore those rumors Here's my heart for you. Don't forget what happened and how you've endured and how you've taken the Gospel and understood it and grown in it. And he's saying, I'm not just going to send Timothy, nor do I want to just send Timothy or Silas to you, but I want to come myself. He says, but once and again, but Satan hindered us. The Greek word for hindered is literally to cut a trench between oneself and an advancing foe to prevent his progress. So Satan opposing the progress of the missionaries. Now, if we think about this, here's the idea of that word. I want to try to put it in a picture for you. Um, it's, It's sort of a forgotten war for some reason, but World War I was supposed to be the war to end all wars, and then there ended up being another one shortly thereafter. World War I was fought very different. It was still fought in a sort of traditional style of war of which many had been fought before, which is where you have enemy on that side, And we stand on this side, and then we fight until either one retreats, stalls, or dies, right? And literally, there were battles in World War I that, as far as they would advance, would be, in in a whole year, 100 and 200 yards. We think, especially towards the end of it, the amount of people that died simply to gain just uh, the spot to the next trench ahead. But this was trench warfare. It's where we get the idea there was trench foot, there was all sorts of issues, a great deal of diseases, a great deal of mud and, and blood and all of these things. Not to mention the atrocities that took place during this time with the still use of, of uh, uh, gas weapons and chemical weapons and things. This was the first time that tanks were used and machine guns were used. And now they're so much far more advanced that it makes those seem as if they were nothing. But in this time, it was absolutely brutal and horrific. And the way in which they fought was this trench. This trench. They sort of had in between trenches what was called no man's land. But you knew if you made it to the next trench, you were advancing. You were getting somewhere. You were gaining ground. But the idea of these trenches is that in this spiritual warfare for Christ, through Christ, with Christ, against our foe, the devil, the the world, and our own flesh, that we see that the devil himself, Satan, whose very name means adversary, our adversary, the devil, who is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may, be de- may devour. He is like a thief who has come to, to steal, kill, and to destroy. He is like a dragon who wishes to breathe his wicked fire of lies and deceit. That is who the devil is. You must know your enemy and you must know that he is very real, that he's very much caring about your soul just as much as the Lord is. But he cares for it in a different way. He cares to steal your joy, your peace, your comfort, to steal your assurance Now, if you are saved today, he cannot have your soul, but he can certainly try to have your mind, to win your affection, to draw you away from Christ. And that is what he is seeking to do daily. He is doing it through manipulating of the world's powers, the world's systems, through governments, through uh, media, through a multitude of things. And some people say, oh, well, TV is just TV, or shows are just shows. We have to understand that everything that is out in the world today is meant to distract you. Even the news is not to inform you, you know that? (laughs) It's meant to distract you from a greater spiritual warfare that is taking place that cannot be seen with eyes or heard with ears or felt with hands, but it is deep and it is dark. And what Satan does is as we are advancing in this battle, this spiritual battle, is that he is always seeking to hinder. Now what's that word hinder? Think about that World War I illustration. He is drawing the line. He is creating a no-man's land. He is trying to separate you, to divide you, and to put a trench before you so that you may fall or stumble or be entrapped by His snares. He is seeking to make sure that you can no longer advance for the cause of Christ. He is seeking to make sure that you will not grow in grace and knowledge. He will do whatever it takes. And ultimately, the way in which He draws His line and His hindrance is not just to keep us furthering in advance, but if He can put a hindrance or a ditch, or a trench, if you will, a dividing trench between you and Christ. That is His great desire. Now on different occasions, JFB commentator writes, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of Jesus, in Acts 16.6, forbade or hindered them in a missionary design. Now if we remember back in Acts 16, Paul said, we want to go over here. And the Holy Spirit said, no. Why? Was it because the people that Paul wanted to go see and minister to didn't need the gospel? No, that's not the case at all. Rather, it's because they weren't quite ready for it and the Spirit knows much more than what we do. This shows the absolute necessity to be Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, and to obey. This is why as a church, as a pastor, as Christians, as believers, as individuals, when the Lord tells us to speak, we speak. When He tells us to be silent, we be silent. When He tells us to walk, we walk. When He says to be still, be still. We must never make a move without the Spirit's leading, guiding, and direction. All of us know and would say theologically, yes, the Spirit is there to lead and to guide, to direct, but very few of us are willing to submit to that Spirit, and many of us want to take our own marching orders. And We have to be careful with that. Now, as the uh, commentator continues on here, he points this out, but he says, here, it is Satan acting perhaps by wicked men, some of whom had already driven him out of Thessalonica, or else by some more direct messenger of Satan or a thorn in the flesh, Second Corinthians 12. Uh, in any event, the Holy Ghost and the providence of God overruled Satan's opposition to further his own purpose. We cannot in each case define whence hindrances and good undertaking arise. Paul, in this case, by inspiration, was enabled to say the hindrance was from Satan. So it was not the spirit that was saying, Paul, don't go back to Thessalonica, but rather it was Satan putting some sort of hindrance. And it could be a multitude of things. It could be false teachers, It could be persecution. It could be uh, the hindrance of his own health. Who knows what this might be? But nevertheless, Paul is willing to say, I'm hindered by Satan himself. Now, if we think about this, it certainly makes sense. The way in which Paul talks about the church of Thessalonica, do you think that they were a weak church or a strong church? I'll help you. Strong church, right? (laughs) They were a strong church. How do we know that? You read chapter 1. They received the power with gospel, with the power of the Holy Spirit, that they were used as a testimony throughout their whole region. They were making an impact for the cause of Christ, not because they went and sent missionaries, but because as people came to Thessalonica, this trading post, this huge city that all the world was traveling through, that the gospel was going forth from there, that they were a light in the dark region of which they lived. They were a strong church but they were a persecuted church. They were a church that was dealing with a great deal of issues, especially from the Jewish people and the Jews that were there stirring up and, and persecuting them and, and trying to, to silence the Gospel. Now, the greatest hindrance of which we find, much like Paul here, John writes in 1 John 2, verse 16, that all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. right These are our enemies. These are our greatest hindrances. One, Satan, but Satan will use the world and your flesh, but oftentimes it is our own flesh that is a great hindrance. But here, he attributes this to Satan. Do you think that Satan would want Paul to go back to this church to strengthen this church? No. Satan has no problem with churches meeting. Satan has no problem with you coming to four services a week. Satan does have a problem with you growing in grace and knowledge. Satan has no problem with you coming to church and lazily singing, Just as I am, or Amazing Grace, or How Great Thou Art. He has no problem with it, unless you mean it. He has no problem that you're willing to put your name down on a sign-up sheet and say that you'll go to something or volunteer for something, but he has a problem when you actually do it. And he will make sure that he puts a trench of hindrance to keep you from doing so. Satan has no problem with churches gathering. There are plenty of churches that are gathered today that will do much more for Satan's kingdom than Christ's. There are many preachers today who will be much more used today for Satan's kingdom than for Christ's. This is the reality. Satan is not so much seeking to to close the doors of church buildings, but rather to make sure that whatever and whoever gathers inside those buildings would not lift up Christ. That they would not be united. That they would be divided. That they would be full of, of dead men's bones. That they would be whitewashed tombs. He is not desiring that this place would close its doors, but he's desiring that when you come here that you simply would not care. He is not desiring that you would not come here, that you would not volunteer. He is desiring to make sure that when you leave from this place and you go home, that husbands would not lead their wives and their children, that mothers would not do motherly things, and that children would not obey their children. He is looking to destroy you. He is looking to make sure That all joy is stolen. He is perfectly fine with your religiosity and your churchianity. He is perfectly fine with Thessalonians meeting. But he's not so fine with real worship. He's not so fine when the Gospel is being proclaimed with power by the Holy Ghost. He is not so fine with Paul coming back to strengthen a church that is already strong in Christ Jesus. Satan will do whatever it takes. He does not fight fair. He does not fight to lose, but rather to win. And we must understand this. Thomas writes, the real existence of a personal and supernatural devil is incontrovertible. He presents activity in opposing God is only a foretaste of the heightened opposition he will launch in the future through his special human representative just prior to Jesus' personal return to or 2 Thessalonians 2. The idea of an antichrist. What Jesus has done and accomplished, Satan is doing the anti-version of it. Right? He is where Jesus has a kingdom of light, his is of darkness. Where his is Christ is of love, his is of hate. His is of unity, his is of disunity. Do we see the difference? Right? They look very much the same from the outside from what they're trying to do, but the motivations are different. The end results are much different. Satan is doing what Christ has done in a dark way, in a twisted way. It is this. Notice that in the very Garden of Eden, what does Satan do? He does not say that God never spoke. He said, did God really say? Did he really say it that way? Sure, God spoke to you. He he spoke to me before. But did he really say it that way? Do you think he really means what he says? Notice the subtlety. That is exactly how Satan works. We must understand that he is very real and he's very much seeking to hinder our work for the Lord. And here's what happens. Satan gives these hindrances to Paul and to us because he is always desiring to make sure that we are weakened and that we are disunited as a church. What he would love to do is to get the church at Thessalonica on an island, if you will, where they have no fellowship, where they feel that they're all alone, where he feels that no one else cares for them, because that is one step closer to apathy. It is one step closer to being cold and dead. Many churches have already slipped through that. Many churches are continuing to slip through that. I've seen it. It's happening around here. It's happening in Danville. It's happening in Waynesboro. It's happening in plenty of places where there are plenty of churches, but there is little Gospel heat. We need the Gospel that must be the focus. And this is what Paul has gotten to over and over and over again. As we see here, the devil is always working to thwart the Word and work of God. There is always a spiritual battle with preaching the Gospel, discipling believers, and strengthening churches. I would wonder today if you understand that Satan is seeking to hinder us. I want you to understand today that as much as God desires to use you in this church, so does the devil. The devil has used many pastors and many deacons and many Sunday school teachers. He has used many people who come and are faithful to church, but not so faithful to Christ. The devil uses people in the church as much as the lord do not think that he would not try to use you do not think that he would not try to use you to bring disunity or to bring apathy i can tell you this here's how he'll use you in a little while when we stand and we sing here's how he'll use you you don't have to sing loud you just you can just mouth the words you can just not care so much you don't have to go forward You don't have to really pay attention. You can just open up your Bible and leave it still and think about something else. You can always watch later online. There's always a lie. There's always a hindrance. Or maybe you should be discouraging today. Maybe you should have the wrong outlook. Don't look at that cross. Look at the temperature of the church. Look at how uncomfortable the pew is. Look at how much stuff you have to do at home. Look at how how difficult life is. Look at how you're having to pray and you haven't gotten an answer yet. Those are all the things that you and I hear every Sunday morning and every day of our life as the devil begins to tell us lie after lie after lie. I'd wonder today as we come to an end here, because I don't want to get started in the next section, is this. One, do we understand that we have a real enemy? Two, do we understand the work of that enemy? He is seeking... Not to keep you from coming here, but rather to keep you from caring while you're here. He is seeking to make sure that you do not live in the Word of God because if you live in the Word of God, the Word of God will live in you. The Word of God in you does the work of God through you. May the Lord open up our eyes today to see those hindrances so that we would not continue to fall suit to them. But that we would put on the whole armor of God that we would stand ready in the day of battle. And I can tell you this, the day of battle is today. Right now. And until the day you die, when you can finally lay down your armor and we can rest in the comfort of the presence of Christ. And until that day, as Paul has talked about and as he'll deal with in verse 19, Christ is coming. And when He does, this battle will be over. And our Lord Jesus will put every enemy under His feet and will cast them far, far away, never to return. May we long and look forward to that day, but until that day, may we be vigilant. May we never cease to fight the good fight of faith. And may we quit fighting with one another and start fighting for one another. May we quit fighting the wrong things and start fighting what is actually the adversary and the enemy. May our eyes be opened to behold our Lord and His Word and His work that He desires to do through us. Let us pray this morning. God, we come to You this day. We just want to thank You, Lord, that You have given us all that we need, that You have called us conquerors and victors. And Lord, not because of anything that we can do or any good that we might have, but rather because of who Christ is and what He has done. Lord, I pray that You would help us today as we prepare our hearts now for worship service, God, that we would worship You in spirit and truth that we would seek to honor You, to glorify You, and Lord, that today that You would do a great and mighty work through Your Word. We love You and we thank You for this time and we give it to You now. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, y'all, we're going to take a pause for the calls. we got a men's prayer over here and a ladies' right over here.